2: This is The
1: Mentor with Mark Burris. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. Today, our guests are two businesses doing well in the creative services industry because we're always talking about products. This is about services. But it's a place where a lot of changes are going on and I want to talk through some of those changes. Our first guest is Beck Brown. PR Wizard runs the comms department. She's got staff in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane running PR campaigns, publicity, crisis communications, corporate comms, and a whole lot more. Then later on, I'll be talking with Ezra O'Pearl, who is the co-founder and managing director of 64 Films, a video production company based here in Sydney. Okay, let's get into it. Beck Brown from the comms department. How are you going, Beck?
2: I'm very well, thank you, Mark.
1: That's good. Now, look, your your business is called the comms department. I, I, I guess just straight up, it says exactly what it is, but a lot of people don't really know what comms is. Um to the to the to the uh, educated or the the educated in pu- public relations, someone like me, I understand what the comms is. Communications comms is a big deal, you know. Big corporates always talk about comms, but the punter outside, someone who's starting a new business or somebody who's uh, you know trying to promote themselves or get publicity, um, you can you explain to them what comms is about?
2: Yeah, so comms comms covers a lot of ground, but it really covers um, your communication to your audience and how you how you communicate your different messages to them. So in the old days, PR, which stands for public relations, um, looked at how you interacted with your public and what you told them. Comms now covers a lot of ground. It covers when you chat externally to your audience, whether it's um, in the media or on your social media. And then it might also mean um, internal communications when you're chatting to your internal stakeholders or your staff or your your fan base already.
1: Because, you know, like... through the wizard days and the yellow Big road days, we've had external comms people. We've had internal comms people. We mostly use internal people now. Um, and to some extent, a lot of people might think it's all bullshit and it's, it's just a total waste of time. PR is all bullshit. Um, and I think you just hit on some very important points. Let's take the word comms out for a moment. It's about, is a service that you provide – and everyone who's been coming in here lately has been talking to me about products. So this is a very important startup service that you've got running. Um, it's an, And I think it's an important service because our message as a business, my business as a message, is different to who, depending on who the audience is. And that's got to be managed. Now, is, can you explain to people who are listening – why the message needs to be managed and massaged and delivered to the different audiences? And like, give me an example of who the audiences might be. You just mentioned like internal, external.
2: Yeah. So it is, knowing your audience, you absolutely hit the nail on the head with that one. Knowing who your audience is and then what you need to tell them is very important. These days, particularly in the age of social media, it's very easy to lose control of what people are saying about your brand or your business. so um, And that's very much in the hands of people saying their own things on social media. So if you um, figure out what your brand messages are, um, whether it's good news, whether it's managing bad news and massaging that so that it doesn't sound so bad, um, you're in control of... What, how your brand is being perceived out in the marketplace. So um, the big four in the old days was um, TV, radio, newspapers and magazines and that was very much getting publicity. Um, comms these days, um, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that we do where we're crafting messaging all about in an individual's business or a corporation to make sure that the right things are being told and that they're being told in the right way and that it's being told in a consistent way as well.
1: Okay, so because I think people underestimate how important communications and the right communications are in relation to brand and two of the ones that I often see that are, to me, are probably the two most critical ones the most recurring ones to me is on one hand, it's promotion of you know what is you're trying to sell, what I'm trying to sell. And so having someone understanding who the various various audiences are who buy my product and/or service. But then on the flip side of that is crisis management when someone's saying bad shit about us. Now, the first one is sort of a little bit easier, at my perception, in that it's sort of you know you're looking, you're talking to cheerleaders, and you know it's it's a little bit easier. But the crisis management one actually intrigues me. Um, What are the attributes that a good comms person needs to have to try and manage crisis?
2: The number one thing is just to have a very cool head. That's the the hugest thing. And then the second- So don't lose it. Don't lose it. (laughs) The second thing, and there's lots of strategies around how you would manage a crisis. How we manage them um, and how I, I feel after doing a lot of research and looking at best practice is- There's two things. You need to have a cool head and you need to respond very, very quickly. In today's 24-7 news cycle where people are reacting instantly on social media, you need to be able to be ready with a statement, ready to go. So the biggest thing that any company or brand can have, no matter how big or small your company is, is to actually just to have a crisis management plan in place in, before it happens. Before it happens, so crisis management is almost like insurance. You need to you hope to hell it never happens, but, but you've got to be does. ready for it. But it does, and you've got to be ready for it. So the first fifteen minutes that something happens is probably one of the most crucial. You've got to contain all the facts. You've got to work out who who was involved. You have to um, make sure everybody is. You have to draw everybody together, make sure they're on the same page, work out exactly what has happened. Then work out what your response is going to be. Now you might put a placeholder statement out saying, "We realise something uh, has just happened here, and we're, we're trying to work. We're investigating straight away because." The first thing, when there, is, when there is no statement, media need to fill that gap so, and so does social media. So everybody starts speculating and the more they start speculating, the more they start growing, that story's already lost, it's already gone, it's got a mind of its own and you're behind the eight ball. So if you put a statement out immediately saying you're on it and you're working on it and you'll come back with all of the facts very shortly, then at least you've got that time to regroup and you've probably got an hour to really make sure that, that you then have the message going forward and you can work out what to do. So
1: what happened the old adage maybe it's different today because of social media, but what happened to the old adage, uh, good news, pump it full of oxygen, bad news, smother it?
2: It's really funny. No, a no comment, um, which used to be very widely yep. used, now infers guilt. Yep. So How no, has how's, <laughs> how's that evolved? It's I, mean, what, just, I, I actually don't know. I don't think I have the full answer for that for you, but I'm going to find that out. Um, I think people have become more and more cynical and more and more sceptical. Therefore, no comment you just think, oh, they're not telling me the full story. And I think as well, these days brands are very transparent and particularly because of social media, you get to see a lot of behind the scenes. So if suddenly somebody's clamming up and saying no comment, you think, oh, what are they hiding? How
1: come you're not telling me something yeah. now and were telling me before? Do you think the media's changed? Uh, oh, or the, the people in the media have changed? In other words, are more ruthless?
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, they the media these days, they need to, they've lost the, the advertising dollar. So they need as many eyeballs on their TV screens, they need as many clicks as they possibly can on their stories, and they often need to be first to publish. So it is absolutely ruthless. It's far more ruthless than it used to be because there's a power shift, because social media and online sites have come through. um, Audiences have fragmented so much. So. There is no big, one big media outlet that holds all the control anymore.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because the other one I was watching NRL No, 360, no, well, no Ma- Maddie John's a show. And Maddie John said something like, they were talking about, uh, oh, I don't know, um, the media when they were, when they were attacking Mitchell Pearce this time last year. And uh, they, and Maddie John says, said, uh, and he didn't, he just said it in passing, but I know, I think I know what he meant. He said, there's all about clicks. So, because everything, I'm a journalist, I put up uh, and I'm you know trying to appeal to my boss and uh, my boss looks at everything I write up every day or every second day, whatever it is, and my boss says, how many clicks do you get through on that online? And that's what I'm getting judged on. So if I'm a media person, and as they say, in every race is a horse called self-interest, my self-interest in that race is to make sure when I go and I see my boss, my boss sees all the clicks. So I, the easiest way to do that is say something sensational, scintillating.
2: Absolutely. It's all about a headline. Yeah. And look, I mean, as a as a PR professional, when we f- put it on the flip side, when we are trying to get our clients same in the way. media, we do it the same way. Same we create deal. a sensational headline. So do author. you accept
1: that? That I mean, I've had it thrown at me. Hey, Mark, you know, you've been dining out on the media. Um, you got to cop it in the, <laughs> in the neck by the media. Do you accept that proposition?
2: Uh, I do to an extent. Yeah. Um, if you dance with the devil, <laughs> yeah. you need to be prepared to play the game. So,
1: do you tell your clients, "Listen, you're going, you're going to this. You're, you are you're going to be holding hands with the devil." Um, do you know that there's a flip side to this? You-
2: Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. But I and I don't. But I don't necessarily um, cage it in that. I, I don't look at it in a negative way. The whole thing can be very, very positive. But you do, if you are going to play in the space, you have to take the good with the bad. But if you play the game correctly and ideally probably use a PR professional to guide you through it and work through that, make sure that – because they, a PR professional will have the contacts, so there's a, so much understanding. That's important. Because, I want to talk about that. So yeah. important.
1: Look, look I, my, my view, any business that's retail or but can be in the media or any individual in business who's, who can be in the media, it's an absolute must to have somebody who's managing their comms today. I wouldn't have said that five years ago, but today, yeah. totally.
2: I'm so pleased to hear you say that. I couldn't agree more. And that's not purely from my. And you don't have to spend a lot of
1: money. You just you just have to have someone there guiding you along. And not so much even developing the messages, but just someone there in case something goes wrong. It's more for me. It's more about risk management as opposed to promoting your business. Look, some of these people can promote their businesses quite well. But what they don't understand is the risk management piece, how to manage the brand. Because I can ha- go and do some brilliant things for two years in relation to my business, my brand. Something goes wrong, and it's lost overnight. Absolutely. So it's that crisis management. You've got to have someone who can jump in there and 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 uh, sort of basically go into bat for you. So in terms of going into bat for for you, um, one of the things uh, what I want to ask you is in if someone's choosing a media, uh, sorry, a comms person to manage these crises and manage the risk. How important is it that the individual, when you choose the comms group, that you actually make sure that you're actually not looking at the, the 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 business, but you are looking at the individual within that group, and how important is it that they, you know how well connected they are with the journalists? You know, because at the end of the day, it's not... It's not uh, Triple M or Today FM or Austereo, Southern Cross Austereo or Channel Nine or Channel Seven or Alan uh, ABC or Two GB. It's Alan Jones is going to attack you, or yes. it's uh, you know, Mark Guy who might attack you, or it's or whatever. I mean, how important is it you know the people so you can ring them and say, listen, mate, Mark Boris is a client of mine. Just before you go on the attack, and you talk to me first. Tell me about that.
2: Definitely. So I think you touched on it before about knowing who your audience is and I think that's some why it's very important to find a PR professional who specialises in the area that you work in because somebody who works in corporate is not going to have the same um, media contacts as somebody who works in fashion, obviously. Yep. And also somebody who's been in the, you know, the longer you've been in the game, the longer you have contacts. You do also need to be careful though that that. that 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 PR professional has good contacts and good relationships and hasn't burnt themselves with different media over the years. The way that we don't burn ourselves with media is we are completely transparent. We will tell media if there is a story or if there's not a story. We, You never, ever lie to a journalist. That's our number one thing. Um, and so in terms of coming back to how do you know if they have the right contacts and the right, um, the right – Yes, okay. So in terms of the right contacts, it's looking at um, looking at the niche and knowing that they've been experienced in that area. I think you'd just want to check who their other clients have been. Because I recently employed
1: one in our organisation, a new girl, and uh, she's great. But the question I asked her in the, with all of them in the interview is what I did, and it was just a tip to anyone who might be listening, it from our side as opposed to from your side, I asked – um, the PR company or the comms company, I say, I first go and see who writes about people in my industry, which journalists, in which papers, and I ask them, who do you know? Yeah. Do you know this person? Can you pick up the phone and ring up Colin Kruger from CBD and Sydney Morning Herald? Can you ring up, uh, Joyce Malarkas of the AFR and talk to her from Street Talk? Do you know them? If you don't, um, it would be a problem for me. Because that means I've got to pay for you while you educate yourself. Yes, and I'm, absolutely. And I'm not—I'm maybe not prepared to invest. I'd rather get someone who's already invested themselves into that environment. And I think that's really important.
2: That makes perfect
1: sense. How, how do you—if I said to you right now, um, NRL just had a crisis. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, one of the players got caught out in state of origin last night, uh, humping another player um and it was in the foyer of the you know the hotel we were staying in and you know what 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 would be the first thing you would say to the NRL
2: I would do two things I would know that that's not my niche yep and I would put them on to a, a, a PR specialist who specializes in sport however I would definitely because that's def, that's not a sports story that's a mainstream story yeah, generally and that's yep. going to go everywhere yeah, <laughs> so great. That's one where you need to contain. Do you close
1: facts. it down, or did, or what do you do? It, it
2: honestly depends. You need to get the facts. What first. would you
1: say the players? the the two in let's say the the individual state of origin player. What would you first say?
2: You would find out exactly. You would say was it, so this was filmed or yeah
1: yeah was well it? someone got it on a phone. Okay, great. In a toilet.
2: Oh. <laughs> um, you, you would find out straight away. You would first of all say to them, You are not to say anything to media, you are so you not close to close that person down. You close down. that person down. Absolutely. You're not to speak to anybody or post anything on social media or have your family or your friends speak to media or speak to or post anything on their socials. Would
1: you get them out of sight?
2: Um probably in first instance.
1: And what and let's say let's say they come into the house, how would you tell them how to conduct themselves? So would you say, put your head down, would you say smile in front of the cameras? Would you say be solemn or like because sometimes I see people smile, they look quite relaxed, it looks like they're not guilty. I mean, what's the not guilty look look like?
2: <laughs> you do need to work out what you're <clears throat> working with because if those players are are absolutely never going to play the humble um, person or are never going to actually apologize or think the whole thing was hilarious, then you're prob- you're going to be in a bit of trouble. So you need to work with what you've got. If you've got somebody who went, okay, I really made a mistake there. Yes, yep, got it. I've completely stuffed up. Then you would um, absolutely say, right, well, this is the look we're going for today. You are you are to be contrite. You are going to be apologetic. You are going to look very sorry. And you're going to look like you mean it. So they've got to act it out.
1: They've got to act it out. <clears>
2: but <throat> I, ideally, you would think that they would be doing that authentically anyway. You Even if think. they're
1: not, it doesn't matter, I guess, at the end of the
2: day. Uh, yeah, but – as and again, as long as they contain it. So as long as they don't then come out to the journalist and say, that was absolutely – I'm so sorry, that was the worst thing I've ever done and I will never do anything like that again. And then the next night they're posting pictures on their social media of them out drinking, having a fun time, as long as there's not going to be that um, disconnect.
1: Just like everyone in the world, um, I guess you've been watching our, our friend, Mr. Trump, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you think from a brand point of view, how do you – what do you think he's conveying, and what would you say to his
2: organisation right now? <laughs> this is where um, this is where <laughs> this is where when you take if you take on a client who is unpredictable, unhinged.
1: Do you think that's part of it, though? Do you th- Maybe do you think perhaps they're saying to him, "Be unpredictable, be unhinged," because you're really t- t- because you're sending a message to um, Kim Il Jong Il, whatever is, the guy from North Korea, and you're sending a message to. Putin uh, is better to be a little bit unpredictable, a little bit unhinged? Do you think that's part of it?
2: I'm not convinced. I I would love to think that there is that level of strategy behind it, but I'm not convinced. What about the look on his face
1: all the time? He looks like morose. I mean, he's got, he's got that look. I mean, I don't know if you saw him the other day, he pushed another politician out of the way to get a photograph. The
2: president of Montenegro. Yeah. That was disgusting. Yeah,
1: I know. I know like, but do you think that was, uh, do you think he did it? Look, I, I did a TV show like he did and I can tell you now that a lot of stuff we do in the TV show is just performance. It's just, we're, we're sort of hamming it up, acting it up. Sure. It's not real, from my point of view anyway. Um, And I, I hope to think that That's the same for him. But when I see him do that sort of thing, it's it's the sort of antics you do in the TV show. Like, uh, I'm the boss. You know, you call me Mr. Trump or Mr. Boris. You know, they look like that. But then I don't know. Do you think he's actually hamming (laughs) it up or do you think it's it's real?
2: I think it might be somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah. What would you say to him then? What would you say to his team? Hey. Would you say anything? Or would you just let it go?
2: I, I do personally you think do you
1: think it's right? Do you think his brand looks right? I mean, what's no, your I feel? No, I think
2: it's terrible. I, I wouldn't personally take on a. Cl- I would never take on a client. Yeah, no, like but that's that. no, that's,
1: that's <laughs> too easy to escape. I am not going to get out of it. Come on, give <laughs> no, me something. No, I just that, wouldn't. I would say it doesn't matter. Give me something. What would you say? Give me a view. Give me a view on what you think he is, and what do you think you, you, you would be telling him? I've, he's going to offer you one hundred million dollars for one hour, so you are not going to say no to that. <laughs> so, what wh- what would you say?
2: The problem is, is that he would never take my advice. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Well, that's a,
1: that's a good deal. Don't be, don't be PR now to me. You're wriggling out of it. Come on. Give me a straight answer. Come on. Tell
2: what me. What would I say to him? I, I would. He would just need to completely change. He would He's listening
1: to, to, too, by the way. He <laughs> listens to the show because he often sends me a, a note. So what do you think you'd Mr. say? Mr.
2: Trump, I've stayed in many of your hotels and I think that they're wonderful. However, in terms of when you are running a country... You need to pull your head in. Yeah. <laughs> I would be yeah. simply saying that he, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that he's acting like he's acting up as if he's on TV. The world stage is not TV, but apart, from, he's never going to. Oh, sorry, I know I he's never going to listen. But he obviously doesn't
1: listen, listen to his own people either. But no, exactly. Uh, he's
2: just fired today. His new, his yeah. PR person. Yeah. So no, clearly. the guy resigned. Oh, did he? Yeah,
1: the guy resigned, yeah, after three months. I
2: wonder if the PR said that or if he,
1: oh. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> resigned for personal reasons. Sounds like
2: a PR statement yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, I remember in the Packers organization when Kerry was live, everyone, when, when a CEO went, they left for personal reasons.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 But like it's it's but I mean it's, it's a big issue. It's quite an interesting issue too. Um,
2: he could turn he could turn everything. I mean everybody is waiting for him to fail. And it, there's two sides to the story because he's hugely entertaining, mm. and therefore the media love him and love to cover him because he's ridiculous. And again, clicks on stories. I'm sure when mm. he pushed the president from Monte- Montenegro out of the way, that got so many clicks. So the media. Said, I reckon kind he's not on purpose. It.
1: I reckon he knows. And I reckon it's all about maintaining your presence in the media. Mm -hmm. I I, I think that's my gut feel. I I think some of it is um, faux act. You know, like it's, uh, it's there to maintain his presence in everyone's mind.
2: I feel like he's probably. I mean, you would probably know this better than I. But this is the way that he's behaved in his business dealings, his entire life, and his entire and career, works. and it works exactly. So he's now just trying this in the presidency. It's so that brand really the Trump, exactly, and it's he's just it's, not changing that.
1: And that's what got him to be the president in the first place. And I think he's smart enough to recognise that. Yes, because I know I, my gut feeling is he thought, well, hang on, I'm not a politician. I've never been a politician. All that, and we don't even know what a politician definition is. I don't know anyway, but I. Um, I've never been a politician, but I've got here because of Brand Trump. Mm. Therefore, that's probably something I know I have got. I will not let that go. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm in the presence of all these presidents and you know prime ministers and everything like that, I might as well maintain my Brand Trump. Now he he knows he didn't do it to Angela Merkel and he didn't do it to Putin. He did it to a bloke from Montenegro,
2: mm.
1: and you know, like. Doesn't really matter that much, you know what I mean? Like, who I don't even know where Montenegro is. It's down below Dubrovnik.
2: In his world, he's exactly that's that's where he's playing.
1: And and he's probably thought to himself, I think he's very strategic. That's what I reckon.
2: I don't believe that he's doing this
1: extraordinarily um, strategic.
2: Yeah, I, I think there is a strategy behind it. Whether it's the right strategy will be will remain to be seen.
1: Well, he's the president.
2: Correct, but what he does with that presidency is—I don't do now you think what that happens. matters to him, though. I don't think that matters to him one bit. No, I know, I, not it at is, all. It matters to the rest of the world.
1: Well, no, but I don't think he's going to do any. I mean, unless he presses the button. I mean, he's, I don't think it matters to us. Other than it's just—it's just, um, it's just uh, political fodder for us. It's, uh, it's just news. It's uh, entertainment. It's just stuff for us to watch. It's you know, like watching the Bachelorette or something like that. Like it's—it's <laughs> it's not going to. None of it affects us. Um, it does, it and it doesn't really affect him either because it doesn't take away from his brand because I don't think he had anything there in the first place other than being Donald Trump.
2: Yes, yeah, and I don't think it's de- you're right. I don't think it's detracting from.
1: I, I think he's done a lot more analysis than everyone gives him credit for. I think he's smarter than everyone gives him credit for, and he looks like a um, he looks like a goose. I get it. Um, I wouldn't do this because I just wouldn't want to go about something that way, but. I think he's done a lot more analysis. And I think there's a lot more. He's a lot more strategic. Than everyone gives him credit for, and I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think he has an outcome which we don't know what that is, where he wants to land, um, uh, whether or not he stays as president, gets voted into for another term, like a two-term president, like most presidents do, or whether he. he I don't think he wants to go out ignominiously, ignominiously but. I, at the same time I don't think it matters to him whether he gets revoted because he's achieved his outcome. He has. He is, he has become the president of the most powerful nation in the world.
2: Where to from there?
1: Make money. You know, like <laughs> that's what yeah. his games always be. Okay, I'm Trump, yes. ex president. You want me to speak somewhere, I'm gonna charge you two million bucks. For a couple of hours, you pay all of my expenses. You want to build a golf course? Yes, you can put the Trump name on it. It's going to cost you ten million a year. You want to build that tower? You put the Trump name on it because. And I think that has always been his game. And uh, you know, he did a TV show. He wasn't interested in the television show. He didn't care about the TV show. He did it for Trump, Brand Trump. Absolutely. And I actually think that's where he's at. I, I'm not. I'm one of the few people who sort of have espoused his view. A lot of people. Think he's stupid? I don't think he's stupid.
2: Uh, I don't think he's stupid. I think he's cunning like a rat.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I, and I, did, but, I don't
2: mean that in a negative as negatively as it sounds. But even <laughs> if he
1: is cunning in the way he's going ar- around his thinking, it's actually quite brilliant because uh, he's got fifty percent of the population fooled. Yeah, yeah. They think he's bumbling in actual fact he's got an outcome he's trying to achieve which he's trying to achieve i think it's a, like it's a sort of thing um, you know someone in your position you know you go and do, you set a course up and you can you know make him a a, a, te- a not test case like what do you call those things a case study case study yeah like i mean i think it would be it's fascinating in mean, your industry to me image brand crisis management um, promotion publicity is totally fascinating for me, especially today when you see people like Trump, and you know, and then you've got some big. There are lots of other people out there too, by the way. Not, not he's the, you know, he's the ultimate, I guess, in at this stage. But you know, Richard Branson. There's so many of them out there, it's, and and there, there's lots of people who startup world who listen to our show here who want to have who want to get somewhere very quickly, and they see commas as a way of doing that. And yes. your industry. Is screaming out for people like you. Um, so that phenomenon is screaming out for people like you.
2: That's very true. It's so. It's very funny when people talk about the future of the PR industry or the future of the media industry. Um, I think the, the I would be concerned if I had a PR agency that was running the way that they were five years ago um, where they'd put all their eggs in one basket and if you'd had a PR campaign and you got the front cover of a magazine and you got a TV show. Yeah, the Formula e stuff. Exactly. You know, you were set. Whereas now it is so fragmented and as an organisation we need to be very, very agile and we need to be very, very innovative in our approaches and we need to… Um, and be- also
1: focus, like laser focus on what you're good at. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think… The, because once upon a time, if someone said to me, I'm doing a, a communications degree and I want to become a PR person, like five years old, I would have said, I don't know it's all really exciting, It could be wasting your time. But today, I think social media and, uh, well, just the the uh, proliferation of media and the thing that drives media today, which as we just said earlier is clicks, and also the risk associated with it all, I think to, to get into your industry, let's not call it PR, let's call it or comms or I think comms is the best yeah. way for it. I reckon it it's a great career.
2: Thank you. I agree. I absolutely agree. But today, with
1: you. today, I wouldn't have said it five years ago, but I think it's the world has changed in in a media sense, and its devices have done it. These, you know, mobile phones, and absolutely. you know, you know, basically mobile phones, handheld smart devices, and these things are going to get have much, much more content and much more, much more ability going forward. Putting a camera in these things is the, one of the most lethal but brilliant things ever. Isn't
2: it? Everyone is connected all the time. And millennials today and millennials cover a very big. It's it's Gen Y, it's Gen X and it's Gen Alpha. So it's everybody from thirty five all the way down. But um from, from from Gen X and Gen Alpha, so let's say twenty five under, they're not just digital natives, they're mobile natives. So they know nothing else but that. And that is how they receive their information. So they are always on social media, they're always online, they're always connected, they're always even if they're so, they're huge publishers outwardly. So they're always mm. posting their own images, but they're also voracious at um, messaging one another and talking with each other as well. So when a brand knows how to connect with them in their online world all the time, and the other great thing um, that I've just heard recently at the conference was talking about your social media feed and it's called a feed for a reason in that you need to feed it so you're constantly having to create content with a voracious which, appetite with, exactly and media are having to do the same thing so there's so much scope for work my day isn't my day is always different every day every week. I'm up at 5.30 every morning at my desk. The day has started. I'm often I'm late sometimes at 5.30. You and look
1: it. like you're loving it and you look like you're energized and you're enjoying it. I always uh, um, offer everybody an opportunity to ask me a question if they yeah. want. Um, what's your question?
2: I do. It's actually, I've had a good think about this. It's about recruitment, actually. And you kind of touched on it when you asked me the question. So you need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And the advice has always been, which I've always taken, that when you collaborate with others, you find people who have a skill set that complements yours and fills the gaps. So that's all well and good, perhaps in the early days. But when you're as an expert like you are, and the stakes are a lot higher, you need to make sure that the people who are filling those gaps are absolutely experts in what they're doing. So other than doing your due diligence and, you know, like you've said Phone, having a chat to media and asking if they actually know you're a PR professional. Do you have any other tips for how to hire an expert in an area that you may not be so proficient in?
1: The most one of the most famous debaters in the world was a guy called Ralph Nader. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Ralph Nader, American guy. And R- Ralph Nader once said, <clears throat> in the debate, which he often won, um, Ex- "expert," he said, "expert, expert, expert." expert. X as an unknown quantity. Spurt in in. As in something slightly faster than a drip. Um, I don't. I don't ever put any weight in the word expert. So let's just deal with that. Um, I, at the end of the day, after the questions, I said I would like to ask a PR person or a comms person. I got to know whether I get on with them.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And that's a trial and error thing. So you've just you might think you get on with them, but you might not get on with them. And the comms person, in turn, has to get on with you. Because if they don't really like you, they think you're a dickhead, and but they're just doing it because there's an earn in it. And, but then it's a job, and out of duty that doesn't work either. Mm. And you got to be have enough sense or common sense to be able to to be able to pick that, because you won't get the best out of that individual. Yes. So I, if I was sort of employing you or uh, retaining you, um, I would do it in a, with an open mind. Um, once I've checked out the the DD the due diligence stuff. But after that, I would have an open mind as to, I would always be thinking to myself, I'd have an open mind as to, well, um, this person may last with me or may not last with me, but I'll know within a month or so.
2: Right. Yep. So you put a time limit on it.
1: Totally. And an I would be upfront to them too. I'd say, look, yeah. look, look, everything looks great. We're going we're going to go good. I, I really want this to work. I'm going to make it work. But equally, you know, I, I also know my limitations because I can be a real jerk sometimes. And uh, someone might, be, might not be able to handle it. Yeah. In which case they might just blow up and I don't want to blow it up and then be committed for the future. So it's a relationship. It's gotta be it's the, right the fit closest relationship you have in a business.
2: It's very true. Your
1: comms person is the closest relationship I you agree. have in a business. The
2: secrets that I hold. <laughs> We're known as the vault. That is is exactly what we are. Correct, and
1: they've got to be zip and uh, (laughs) totally, uh, you know, they've got to talk like crazy but say nothing.
2: That's very true. You just summed me up.
1: (laughs) Really nice to meet you.
2: You too, Mark. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Up next on The Mentor, we have the founder of one of Sydney's largest independent video production companies, working largely in the digital space. Stay tuned. Well, I've got Ezra O'Pearlay. Now, I said O'Pearl. Sorry about it, mate. Uh, is it French? Uh, it's Germanic French, so Ge- it's around that region, yeah. Germanic French, okay. And you're from 64 Films. I am, indeed.
0: What does 64 Films mean before you t- tell me what it does? So, 64 Films uh, is started and founded by two Kiwis. So, it's a bit of a secret. It is always a bit of a laugh and a bit of sick with uh, the Aussie banter. Um, but plus six, four is the country code for New Zealand. Ah, there we go. <laughs> no one knew no <laughs> and not many of our clients do so I don't know if I'm too wise so, telling so, everyone
1: okay and you tell, tell me what it does uh, 64 Films what are you guys doing
0: so 64 Films produces digital content so we do digital content TVCs anything short form so it's high quality video content that we produce Ezra you've explained to me what uh, 64 Film
1: where the name the 64 came from is New Zealand's postcode or telephone uh, code <laughs>
0: What does 64 Films do? Like What's your game plan? What's going on there? Our game plan's changed since we started. Um, So the game plan initially was to come in and create an agile video production model that was different and catered to the changing uh, state of digital media where things need to be turned around a lot faster than they used to. People used to be producing a few high-end TV commercials every year, um, now with the likes of social media people need a hell of a lot more content. So production's turned into a volume game. And so we actually came in to do something different. But the reality of the equation was that people didn't really want something different. People weren't ready for anything different. So the game plan now is to really shift more uh, to align ourselves with the status quo for video production. So, I mean, I guess what you're saying, I'm going to put that into
1: um, human talk because uh, <laughs> that that's professional talk. I guess what you're saying, tell me if I'm wrong, I yep. guess what you're saying is that the digital platforms, in other words, social media and how we advertise and how we talk to our our customers and at our our clients, etc. Today, um, is allows us to put um, film up there. In other words, yep. it's not just audio and it's not just uh, static photographs and it's uh, and it's also not just doing a thirty second ad like traditionally we do. Yep, we can talk about our business and our brand um, much more um, uh, often and in and in a different way. And to do that, but you need someone to film you. Yeah, absolutely. And, or produce it. And that could be done nearly every day. It could be done every twice a day, three times a day. It could be done once a week and it could be done more often than it ever has been done in the past. And what you guys do is you go and direct and produce that. Yeah. Is that the, the game?
0: Yeah, and cheaply,
1: I'm Not cheaply, but like efficiently because traditionally- I mean I've done a million ads I've done a million TV episodes and this stuff costs a fortune because and it's a massive production right what you're saying is you've
0: carved it up and you can do it in small bits faster and efficiently in a price sense Yeah so when we started out so Just to give you a little bit of background about why it started, my background was publishing. And so all of a sudden, uh, four years ago, we started receiving a whole lot of video content uh, pieces attached onto our media briefs. And so I started briefing out uh, video briefs to freelance producers, freelance directors and editors. And what I found is that there was a huge discrepancy in costs and the reality was is that For every job, like I said, these things were expensive. People were bringing in lots of people to make these big productions and it wasn't cost effective. So I actually wanted a solution that worked for me. So I went out and negotiated um, with a small group of suppliers, the terms that I wanted to operate on to be able to deliver something more fast and more efficiently. And so I basically worked with a mate of mine to be able to deliver that and got all of these freelancers buy into this model. And we created a service that could do that more cost effectively Um, But as we grew, it's difficult to scale those kind of costs when you actually have to go out and negotiate something different with uh, service providers than what they're actually offering um, to the rest of the market. So an example of that would be we started out on hourly production model and the status quo is half day and full days, um, which is the same for many things. And we did that on a volume basis. What I've actually found is people don't like that because when procurement divisions are looking at costs, um, they can't benchmark you against anyone else. And they actually want to see costs that align with everyone else. And so we did deliver this agile service. We obviously implemented other systems like project management software to mean to make sure that we could deliver it very efficiently and effectively. Um, but yeah, ultimately, people wanted us to shift back to a traditional costing model. So it turned out to be more of a value proposition in terms of our creative execution. Than a cost one, and so that was a big strategic shift for us in the business as it's growing. So in other words, you weren't trying to do
1: something more of for a lower price. You ended up it went back to um, give me a good value for what I'm paying.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: So, but 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 they still want to it more often because people post more often video than they hundred the
0: Yeah. So we still operate lean. Um, I believe you know if people get frustrated uh, as business owners when they were marketers or people working to tight budgets. When you roll into a set and you see, you know, five people chilling out, having a cup of coffee, um, you want to see everybody working. Mm. And so we still operate a very lean production model. We only have the cast and crew on that are required to deliver the production value that's going to be required. And so that's kind of our brand promises. Mate, I understand exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Every episode costs half a million dollars.
1: And we had 72 hours of film for 40 minutes of
0: television. Yeah, that's absolutely so we shoot to edit. So that's yeah. another big thing. Yeah. A lot of people are rolling all the time. And then the roll-on effect of that is that you're sitting in the post-production suite, like I said, going through 72 hours of footage when you're only actually going to use 40 minutes of it. Mm. Yeah. That, that, so
1: you, you've sort of um, uh, deconstructed the process and taken out the inefficient stuff and, created, and just held on to the efficient stuff. So if I'm a small business owner – and I want to get out on um, I don't know what small business, medium business, whatever it is. Um, and I, because I mean, I guess I, I looked at in the brief, some of your clients are big names, but let's—we're yeah. talking to small people now. This is our audience. Um, what, what do you offer? Do, does your business offer sixty-four films? What does it offer to say a medium-sized business who wants to basically keep their their audience updated as to what they're doing. I mean I mean you might I'm not suggesting you're going to go and give this do business for these guys, but what would you sort of say to them? You know, like uh, we want to film you every morning coming and have a cup of coffee doing your staff meeting and uh, let out your customers see how you interact with your staff. I mean is that the sort of stuff you're talking about?
0: I believe that brands need to tell stories and they need to tell them well to engage people. And one of the biggest challenges um, and one of the biggest value propositions that we offer to these small to medium businesses is you're getting cinematic quality. So the quality of content that you produce reflects your brand. Um, so you're, if you're a premium brand like, I don't know, a Vogue, um, who's one of our clients, you shouldn't be out there producing stuff with terrible lighting and uh, you know low production quality. You should be doing pres- something that's produced pretty slick, looks clean, is reflective of your brand. It's going to come across more professional and it's going to engage your audience more. So what we deliver is for a far lower budget because we operate leaner and more efficiently, you get that high-end cinematic production value um, for a lower budget. So does that
1: mean you're, you're using
0: like film quality
1: film in terms of your your cameras? or? Yeah,
0: so we shouldn't arrange cameras. It depends what you need. Technology and cinematography has evolved massively. Right. So stuff that was costing hundreds of thousands of dollars, I mean, we still have hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear because we need it. Um, but you know, you can get a great camera for five thousand dollars now. You don't have to go and spend thirty grand. But I guess, you know, on the scale for that, um we absorb a lot of those costs purely because we do have a lot of internal resource and we've structured our business that way um to be able to create more efficiencies. Obviously we find efficiencies working with internal staff over external staff where we can. So we've got seven full-time staff, which enables us to deliver a higher value proposition than someone who has to bring in everyone and hire everything. So that means that, yeah, we can. We own a red camera, which is the high end cinematic production quality camera. And we can go out and shoot on that for a fraction of the cost it would cost someone else to do the same thing. So, like, it, it, you know,
1: like our audience are small business owners and they're all budding entrepreneurs or innovators. And they're, they're sort of sitting there thinking, okay, what has Ezra got for me? Like, uh, what can I learn from Ezra? What What has Ezra done that I can do in my industry? And they they might probably more than likely aren't in the production industry, like you know, like video production industry. They might be, but they're probably not likely to be. But what principles do you think um, a listener could general principles they could take from what you're, what you guys have done? I mean, is it the deconstruction process? Is it the uh, the ability to produce more? And more often, but at a lower cost, you keep using the word lean. Um, Is it the um, provision of a platform for your Vogue um, to all Vogue's customers, uh, Vogue's readers, I should say, Vogue's audience? What do you think a a listener could take from you that they could use for their own business? What, What advice would you give to them that you find has made you successful and allowed you to get your niche and do well at it?
0: Well, I don't think that uh, what actually will deliver the value isn't about me telling people how we work on a back end or what our process actually is. I think something that's far more universally applicable to every person in that business ownership position is um, just to educate people on the difference between what you're getting when you work with a freelancer versus a production company. Um, because we're quite often just asked, hey, we need a videographer, we need a video that is 60 to 90 seconds, how much? Hmm. Um, The real value that you're going to get from creating content as a business owner is by creating something that really engages your audience in a useful and meaningful way. And what you don't get when you hire a videographer to do that is basically you get a run and gun style piece of content. So that's great. You can stick a camera in front of anyone and you can film them saying anything. That's fine. What you get when you work with a production company, and when the real value comes from, is that creative ideation. So that's you so know, you're you so you're saying you you're part of the messaging. You're part of the hundred percent, hundred percent. It is absolutely about have, sitting down and chatting to these business owners about what they're actually trying to achieve, what their brand is, what their brand story is, and how we can engage that audience. And this is something that a director then translates into an engaging story. So. It's all about pre-production. It's building that story and it's actually working with these small businesses to look at this. We get these briefs all of the time and unfortunately, a lot of people don't actually know what they need. They just know that they need video and what they actually need to do is they need to build a good consistent message that engages their audience in a way that's beneficial to them. Okay, Ezra, I'm going to ask you something because I just asked um, our previous guest uh, the same question. Um,
1: Let's say I'm the chief of staff right now, for Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, you were sitting back and um, just seeing how t- Trump's being portrayed by the media. And I'm looking at it too as a chief of staff and I'm saying to myself, I really don't like the way it look, Donald. Uh, it's not coming. It, it's not cool. Uh, and we go along to you guys, 64 films, and we say, look, we need video content because um, we want to put up on our on our... Twitter page or whatever, I don't know, whatever, whatever he uses, Facebook, um, what would you say to me? What would you ask
0: me? Jeez, that's a tough one. What would I ask you if you came to us yeah, for the what brief to so work on yeah, what would you Donald Trump? In, in, yeah, in the brief.
1: I mean, what would you say to me? I mean, as an example to the people listening where your value proposition is, I mean, I, I know you can produce it. I know you can produce it probably lean on it because I'm going to say to Matt, I've only got a, you know, a small budget. Um, so you, you say, okay, I can get a, a videographer or lighting. I can get all that stuff sorted and audio, but what you're offering is some, some, intellect. And what would you, what would you ask me? You don't have to give me, you don't have to tell me how I should be running my campaign or how I should be conducting myself, but what would you ask me? What are the questions you would ask me to work out what you should advise me in terms of the creative, the messaging?
0: The first thing I would ask is what's the challenge you're trying to overcome? Um, so, you know, looking from the outside on, honestly, with Trump, it's a tricky one. No, I'm going to answer it because I'm Trump's Okay, CEO, all right, so go chief, for it. Chief, okay. so ask
1: me the question. So, what's your first question to me?
0: Uh, so what's the challenge you're trying to overcome? Um, what are you looking, what, what direct result, what's your primary objective I, of I, this th- video? I think the president
1: is coming across as looking like a grump
0: and a little bit arrogant and, uh, and in some cases a bit silly. Okay, um, we can absolutely create content that's going to change and shift the perception in the media in general public by creating content for this. The only challenge that we have, which I'd put back on you, is obviously Trump is outspoken across all different mediums. So is he going to then be posting tweets that contradict what we're trying to he achieve? He will, he will, because I can't control him. But, but at the same time, I'm the chief of staff and I'm responsible for the
1: outcomes because he will always blame me if he loses the next election he's going to blame me and i don't want to lose my job so i've got to con- I, I can't contain him because he's always going to be off the cuff and he's always going to be outrageous and outspoken and he's going to use every medium or media that he can get get access to <clears throat> but we need to do something to balance it up okay and and he's,
0: and by the way the, the president is open to it i think we leverage the fact that he is outspoken and then we would integrate that and actually build our content around that fact because I guess if we're building content around this outspokenness in a more open and consistent way, um, we can actually have a little bit more control in terms of what people are actually seeing. Um, obviously, what would you, you like us to? What would you
1: like? What do you? Th- what would you advise me as that you think the punters would like to see with the president? Maybe him having a cup of tea with his wife and kids, or um, what are you thinking?
0: I think. Uh, to be honest, I think Obama did this really well. He did a lot of uh, pieces with industry Moon forum dance. leaders. And he just had a bit of quick. He was willing to do stuff with comedians and all sorts of various people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That it's kind of, it creates a very personal element. I kind of feel like per- Trump has a quite standoffish. Corporate. Yeah, very corporate persona. Yep. He comes from a business background. Yep. So I think we could humanize him um, a bit by actually putting him in some more socially relatable scenarios. Yeah, I, I, and I agree, as Chief of Staff, I agree with that. Um, I think we need to humanise, because he's actually
1: not a bad person, I'm t- speaking as Chief of Staff. Um, you know, he's a good guy, he's, but he's got this um armour that he wears, this corporate armour that he wears, and he thinks that he has to be the boss. B O W S, big B, big O, big S-S. So um, uh, humanising is, I think, that's an important thing. What I would like to see, this be, me speaking as my person, I would actually like to see him doing normal things like, Maybe playing a game of golf or just hanging out or perhaps uh, doing what everyone else in the world does go to a concert or have dinner or maybe even dance. Like you, Obama, he probably can't, he's not as cool as Obama. <laughs> not as like, uh, he just, or, or nor is his wife as cool as Obama, but, she, um, but I'm sure she can sort of, because she's a bit, crystalline too like uh she's just uh, forever perfect and beautiful and beautiful clothes and wearing fifty five thousand dollars jackets yeah. and all sort of stuff she's like a walking coat clo- clothes horse to me <laughs> but she i think they both need, need to be broken that. down don't you reckon <laughs> yeah they both need to be broken down
0: yeah and that's absolutely something the video can do Yeah, I mean um, we
1: need to break them down you know yeah that's do you think would you agree 'Cause I actually think the public would like to see him come off. I think it'll do a huge it'd be massively beneficial to the guy. Get him off um, the top of the hill and uh yeah. you know, just just do something normal, like roll down the hill. You know, like literally
0: Pro- probably a bit far
1: for a present. <laughs> that doesn't matter. No. But why but what but the question is today with that, with the audiences, the people that you're dealing with, because the audience is your your target.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um
1: it's not so much the presence, the audience, and that's the whole world. Yeah. Um I think we all want to see everyone to be normal. Absolutely. I mean, I like like uh, Clinton, Bill Clinton sort of got away with it in the end because everyone said,
0: well, it's sort of normal. Well, I feel like the analogy here is that relatability and that engagement with storytelling. At the end of the day, whether you're Donald Trump or you're a small business trying to communicate with people, people aren't going to engage if they can't actually relate. Um, so I guess, you know, the real answer to this piece is that, you need to tell stories in an engaging and relevant way. What's the story Yeah. Yeah. And what what and, what, what and, is the story here? Because there's no story about him being president. That's not a story. No, the story about is about Donald Trump being a human being. Yeah, that people can relate to. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's the story that you know would engage with people and would most likely get traction. It'd be real. I see Hamish
1: and Andy now doing a new show about stories about real people, and it's I, I'm intrigued by it. It's I think it's even on Channel Nine. So I've just seen the promos for it, but yeah. um, I think it's quite smart. I mean, that, and they tap into the – they always tap into the psyche, you know, and uh, it, it's an f- interesting word, that word psyche. Psyche uh, comes from the Greek word psyche, which means your soul, and um, it, it's sort of an interesting uh, concept because they get right – they're very good comedians because they get right into the heart and soul of what's going on out there. They actually um, – tell stories about what people really are feeling, what they want to feel, what they want to hear. And just knowing about people's own stories, like just normal people's stories. We're sick of hearing all the fancy stuff. We actually got room now to hear about just normal stuff.
0: And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that a lot of brands face. I've just been at a three-day conference um, last week that was absolutely mind-blowing. But, um, you know, brands need to move away from this idea that you need to just shove product in their face people disengage. It's not relatable. Um, one of the speakers at this conference was the global uh, head of design at Nike. And he actually spoke about the first campaign that they ran where they didn't focus so heavily on the product. And that was around the Olympics in LA. And it was all about LA and the spirit of LA and the people that were actually using their brand. And Ever since then, they've never looked back. It's all been about telling that brand story, which obviously for Nike is, you know, greatness and everyone is it's an moving athlete. on
1: Michael Jordan. They've gone and seen there's some punter the stand there. It might, could be the bloke who's the doorman at the blah, blah, hotel, and he lifts his jacket up and he's got a pair of Nike underneath or something like that. That's exactly. cool.
0: The camera's not sitting <clears> on the pair <throat> of Nike shoes, you know. It's all about the inspiring everything behind the person that's in it. Yeah, that that's... Uh it's funny, well, there's a shift, there's yeah. a massive shift. And
1: that's what this show's about, to be honest with you. We call it The Mentor, but this show's about getting everyday people in to say, this everyday person, Ezra, he has done very well at his business. He's an everyday guy. He's not uh, Donald Trump, but he's Ezra. He's got a good business. He understands his marketplace. He's worked out how to get from his old position to the new position. He's seen an opportunity and he's blended it all together and he's doing well. And – Ezra has bothered to come in here to explain to everyone who's listening to the show what he's done. He's sharing your success, and Absolutely. also, and obviously, there's always problems, but your success with uh, everyone in Australia uh, who listens to the show, and there's you know hundreds of thousands of them. And the the, the name of the game here is sharing, and uh, I think and, and and that's sort of come about because social media makes us share. Yeah, this is an opportunity for people actually to share with what they want to hear about. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I'm always getting thrown in my face through, through my various accounts. Everyone is everyone the media sharing everyone else's story, when I don't necessarily want to hear about Chappelle Corby, but they're sharing it with me. Yeah. What this is an opportunity to do here, and, what, and I really appreciate people like yourself, is for you to come and share with people and they can choose where they want to hear about it and they get something out of it. Valuable. Yep. And it's a bit what you said before. It's value hundred percent it's value and 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 we are much more that way today. Aust- Australians of the world and business owners are much more that way. Business owners are a great community and we're all prepared and happy to share our stories. no charge it's all free and it's it's something I wish politicians would get close to and <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see politicians. I'd like to see Scott Morrison come into the show and share as not as treasure but as Scott Morrison. Something with us.
0: And that's that relatable human element. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: I'm sure he's just a good bloke, but I'm going to judge him because he doesn't give me that good bloke stuff. He just gives me that steely-edged treasurer, firm, committed, all the stuff that he thinks that he's been told from a, an agency or somebody that he should be as a brand. But if he gave us his story, I mean, I'm sure you could film his story and, and <laughs> maybe you could. We could. And if we get him in here, we'll get it, We'll get you to film it. Um, and you do it for free? That's <laughs> yeah, value. sure. We'll yeah. shoot it on a red. Yeah. <laughs> get, on, get the red in here. Yeah. For those people who don't know, the camera that Ezra's talking about is probably, I don't know how much they cost. They're pretty expensive cameras.
0: Oh, just the base, like the actual body is 30 grand. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so they're expensive to use,
1: um, <laughs> um, but but nonetheless, they give you the best quality and they've got all the features and they can yeah, do everything with them. Yeah. Um, Ezra, one question, what would you like to ask me?
0: Um, mate, the thing that I'd like to ask you is obviously as a business owner yourself, um, having used these services, you've said that you've used creative services before. Obviously it's a no brainer. I've listened to some of these podcasts before you talked about some of the media that you got, um, when you first started out. Uh, how do you see the creative service industry changing? There's a lot of talk about it shifting from an individual siloed agency model to a full service. Um, and we're seeing a lot of change. There's obviously technology as one consideration. So there's platforms uh, where people can, you know, use a platform as a tool to bring people together. Um, there's agencies that are trying to deliver, you know, PR, creative agency services, production services, or you can still break out into the the full-on separate suite. How do you think this is going to change? I can, I can only answer my point of view, but I think that there are so many avenues, so
1: many platforms, so many ways to get your video and or audio into the marketplace, um, it's so complex and the messages are becoming so complex and the audience are becoming so fractured and so many audiences who have an appetite for a certain type of delivery that I think is pretty much impossible to have a, um, a place where you offer everything to everybody. Yeah. So my view on it is that it's horse of courses and I cherry pick. Or our organisations cherry pick what we need for the particular outcome that we think we need to get. So it's the age of specialists. Yeah. Um. And and your underlying theme of value is critical because you couldn't do specialists before because you end up paying too much. Yeah. You'd have six specialists and you'd have six times the six times the cost. And what drove you to mm-hmm. go and pick a an all in one is because you get a better price and you actually you were compromising yourself. But today. If I can get good value from a specialist, I'll go for a specialist every time. and I think what you hit on before is really important. I've dealt with people who are just, not just, but they're they're the professional words. they're the, the cinematographer, the filmographer, and this guy over here's the lighting guy, and this guy over here girl over here's the you know, sound and um, audio, um and then there's the editor over there. and nobody adds any value to you. And I like the idea of what you're saying is building, the creative and then directing the creative and doing it and then offering all the the physical services at a good value price. Yeah. That, that's, that to me, that is what I call specialization. Absolutely. That's a specialization. I like that way. And I don't know how it's going to evolve, where it's going to go from here, but that sort of to me suits the current, um, way that, that sort of suits to me the, the way I need to deliver to all the various platforms once I consider all the various platforms that I want to go out onto, there is nobody out there that I can think of who can do everything. I mean, even the TV companies, they can't do it. In fact, to some extent, they're way behind guys like you.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, and I've done – and I've had TV companies who produce shows. Then I've I've had production companies, big production companies who produce shows. Um, um, And I find find them outsourcing a whole lot of stuff. And actually, some of the big production companies, you know, Fremantle, for example – they're just a, an aggregation of a whole lot of freelancers. Yeah, absolutely. They they, they don't actually do anything. Well, that's I mean, the they do something. Model. That's yeah. that structure. You know, they just they go they bring and say, "Oh, we, you know, we need to do the Celebrity Apprentice." Or we will go and get so and so. She was really good at the production. We we'll go and get so and so. a good floor manager. We'll go and get so and so. Is a good film guy, and uh, and then, but the, the problem with that is that nobody's actually sitting down with me, like as the guy in the show, sort of saying, "Okay, well, this is the outcome we're trying to produce." and direct yeah and Mark how do you feel about that what do you want to do so um, um, you know like if I was doing a new show if, if we took The Mentor and we turned it into a television show you'd work with 64 films I'd do it totally differently <laughs> to the way I've done it before we might we might but I would do it totally differently to the way I've done every uh, every other TV show yeah really nice to meet you Mate, hey, Ezra, by the way, Ezra, my second older son is having a baby, and he was and he knows there's a boy. And his wife's having a baby, and she's pregnant, obviously. And uh, he was going to call his kid Ezra. And, oh, really? Uh, what yeah. happened? No, no. <laughs> well, the kid's not born yet, but I think he's going to call it George after my dad. But yeah, um, you know, I won't cut that one down. There, then. there you go. But Ezra, <laughs> you, mate, you're up there. You're you're you uh, it's either Ezra or George. So cool. Perfect. And I've never
0: met Ezra before. So well, there you go. First one. Really nice to meet you. You too, mate. Cheers.
1: This has been The Mentor with Mark Burris. You can follow Mark on LinkedIn.